sharing that. So today's the last day. Sign up. Sign up. Uh, we're going to incur. We want to. Uh, we're talking about when we can resume the family feasts again. So um, we'll, more more on that. Um, hopefully in the future. So, but hey, let's jump into our teaching today. Um, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it's Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 25 is our passage today. And this is uh, just more of, a, more of a teaching today, not like kind of a preachy kind of sermon. This is more like a teaching today as we're going to be looking through uh, God's word. And as is usually our practice, what we're going to do, that's um, Luke 5 verses, or Luke 1 verses 5 through 25. And as is usually our practice, what we'll do is we'll read God's word together. We'll read the whole passage and then uh, we'll uh, kind of unpack it and see what God has uh, to say to us through it. So if you're there in Luke chapter one, verses five through twenty five, you can follow along as I read. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. And they had, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away, uh, turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home 
After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. This is the reading of God's word, and we say, Thanks be to God. And God, we do thank you for your word that you speak to us. And God, even now, as we're here, um, as your people gathered, we know that your voice is speaking in your word, that your word is living and active. And we're grateful for what Luke has, um, by, by the direction of the Holy Spirit, what he has written down here for us concerning John the Baptist. God, I pray that you would teach us, teach us what this means for us. And what we should do. It's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said. Amen and amen. So this morning I want to kind of unpack this passage in three parts. So there's going to be three parts to this to this uh, this teaching this morning. First thing I'm going to do is uh, we're going to kind of, again, walk through the, whole, the story that we just read. And we're going to skip Gabriel's message. Then we're going to... Uh, do a little biographical sketch of the person who is uh, the central character of this passage, and that is John the Baptist. He's not called John the Baptist here. He's called that later by Jesus. And then we're going to come back to Gabriel's message and then tie all of this together. So let me begin by kind of surveying this whole, this whole story, skipping Gabriel's message. We're introduced to a couple of parents, John's parents, and their names are Zechariah and Elizabeth, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah's name, by the way, um, is, means Yahweh remembers, Yahweh remembers. Um, he has, and he shares the exact same name as an Old Testament prophet. So perhaps he was named after an Old Testament prophet, the Zechariah, um, but we do know that he is a priest, so that he is of the tribe, tribe of Aaron, and he is qualified to serve as a priest in the temple, which is what we see him doing here at the start of this passage. His wife's name is Elizabeth, Elizabeth, or Elishaba. Elishaba would be her Hebrew uh, name, which means God, or my God, or God of my and the latter part of her name, which is that's the L part, right? The Eli means God of my. And the latter part of her name uh, means e it's either the number seven or it's the number oath or the letter or the word oath. Uh, so it means kind of seven would be completeness. So it's her name kind of means something like the God of my completeness or the God of my oath or the God who fulfills my oath. These are the parents. Zechariah and Elizabeth. And then also, by the way, notice what it says there about Elizabeth in, uh, verse, in verse 5. And he had a wife, this is Zechariah's wife, from the daughters of Aaron. Okay, this means that she is a descendant of Moses' brother Aaron, through whom the, tr the priestly tribes are going to come. So this is a very devout family. It is a priestly family. Both of them come trace their lineage all the way to to Aaron Moses's brother Aaron very devout family which is what it says in verse verse 6 that they were both righteous before God now this doesn't mean that they were sinless but it does mean that they were faithful they trusted in the Lord they believed what God had said 
about his covenant and his covenant people. They clung to that. But verse 7 also tells us another thing about this, this couple. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren. So it speaks to their the childlessness that they were experiencing. Now, it's a very important thing to, to note about this uh, childlessness. In the Old Testament, childbearing was kind of a sign of God's blessing on a people at large, on the, on, on the people as, as a whole. It goes back very right from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, being fruitful and multiplying. As a consequence, then kind of childlessness was seen as an image of lifelessness or the pulling up back of God's blessing. Now, this doesn't mean that because uh, this is kind of a very sensitive thing in our in our age. It was a sensitive thing in their age back then. This does not mean that, OK, I have done something wrong. Therefore, the Lord has cursed me with this on a personal level. I'm not saying that. They're just saying as, as a general uh, picture of the removal of God's blessing over the whole people would be what the Old Testament pictures is, is childlessness. We know that this isn't connected to a particular person's sins because both Elizabeth and Zechariah were described as what? They're described as righteous. They were described as being faithful, walking blamelessly in the commandments. And nevertheless, they also find themselves in this point childless. So we must not connect those two things. But childlessness is a very interesting thing that happens throughout the Old Testament scriptures. You can think of several names of people who had experienced for a time childlessness. The very first that comes to mind is who? Abraham and, and Sarah. Right? Abraham was promised, given a covenant promise by God that you are going to be the father of a multitude of nations. And Abraham believed that. But yet for many years, and in fact decades after that promise, he still did not have a child from his body and from Sarah tried to even take matters into his own hands because Sarah was unable to have children. And lo and behold, God's promise was fulfilled in Isaac, right? Same thing happened with Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. She, for a period of time, was childless. And then came Jacob. Similarly, the wife of uh, Manoah was also childless. And then she bore a son, Samson. Judges chapter 13. Hannah was childless with her husband, Elkanah. And yet the Lord had promised she was going to have a child and that child was going to be Samuel. So what's interesting is that usually if you trace through here, you would see this kind of pattern that develops of these people, key significant figures throughout the Bible that experience periods of, of childlessness, and then something miraculous happens and they have a child. And this is usually the opener of a new phase of what's going to happen in God's redemptive plan. 
a new stage. It's kind of a marks a transitionary period from from hopelessness to hope. It marks a transitionary period from from curses or the withdrawal of God's blessings to God's blessing coming upon his people. Notice what um, what it says in verse 13 about this this uh, couple. When, when the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah while he's serving here in the temple, he says to Zechariah, do not be afraid because, of course, when you're going to see an angel, that's the typical response. I don't know of anybody in the Bible who saw an angel and wasn't afraid. But then he says this, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. What was Zechariah praying for? Was he praying even in their advanced age that they would have a child? Perhaps, perhaps that's what he is praying for. As a matter of fact, he, he even, to Zechariah's news, shows some incredulity. He didn't believe him. <laughs> Incredulity. He didn't believe what the angel had to say. As a matter of fact, he's going, how, how shall I know this from an old man and my wife is advanced in years? Did you just say, uh, oh, it's, I thought, because we were reading this passage last night and we were talking about being advanced in years. And Janet was like, can you imagine like if we all of a sudden found out we were having a child? And, and I was like, well, you are advanced in years. <laughs> and she goes, well, you are an old man. So, <laughs> so he's, he he's, has some great deal of doubts about this. So you, you, would, you wouldn't blame you wouldn't blame Zechariah for maybe he just didn't pray very much for a child. Maybe he prayed a prayer for a child long time ago. Is he praying for a child here? It's very reasonable to think that because he's giving this child in this context, that that's what he's referring to. I think I wouldn't rule out the possibility that he's that he isn't just praying for something more than that. That he's actually praying according to his priestly duties. He's praying and beseeching the Lord for God to restore the kingdom to Israel. Right? This would be claiming the promises of God. As a matter of fact, you see some hints of this in this passage. What is he doing at this time? He is in the temple of the Lord. He's not in the holy of holies, he's not in that place because that was only once a year, remember, on the Day of Atonement. But he, by lot, was it was his job to go into the holy place outside of the Holy of Holies where you had the lampstand and you had the table of the showbread and then you had the altar of incense right in front of the curtain that had the gold cherubim there guarding the place to the Holy of Holies. And in the Old Testament, this offering of incense on that burning altar, the smoke would go up and fill that room and kind of fill outside of the temple and then go on up. This was connected with the prayer times. The alt, as the, as you, the incense and smoke would rise up, it was kind of like a symbolic of the prayers rising up to God. See that in, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And so this is a specific prayer time. And we know that also because as he is offering incense, 
What does it say that the entire crowd is gathered around outside doing? Verse 10. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. I, I kind of like the idea here that Zechariah, in his advanced age, that he probably isn't sitting there with the specially mixed altar, you know, uh, uh, incense that's being burned there that he isn't thinking boy really concerned my wife and I have a child I think that he's also thinking which may have been in the back of his mind but he's like Lord restore Israel may your covenant promises come Zechariah desired to have a son but it'd be reasonable to think that he in his advanced age in Elizabeth's advanced age, that maybe that kind of got put on the back burner. But that his prayer, his prayer on behalf of all faithful Israelites would be for the long promised Messiah to come. That makes sense, given what he is doing in his duties right there. And Gabriel comes and he gives him an answer. That he would have a son and that son would actually grow up to prepare the way for the Messiah. Like he puts the two together. So skipping verses uh, 13 through 17, we see the rest of the story. Zechariah, because of his disbelief in this, uh, what's going to happen, he's now struck mute. He cannot speak. He encounters this angel, Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. We've seen Gabriel actually, um, there's only two angels that are named in the Bible. There's Gabriel and Michael. And Gabriel is mentioned in Daniel chapter 8 and J Daniel chapter 9. This same, uh, this same angel comes to speak to Zechariah with a message about his son, John. So, Zechariah has some unbelief. Gabriel gives his response. Meanwhile, the people are outside praying. He comes out mute, eventually returns. And then after these things, Elizabeth does conceive, does have a son. And then has her profession. Thus, the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Like many places in Bible history, in the midst of the dark time where God's blessing seems absent, God remembers and God fulfills his oath. If we could draw some meaning of the names of, the, of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so they're promised this son, which gives us to the second part. Here's a biographical sketch of this person, John. John grows up. He's the son of Zechariah, son of Elizabeth. He likewise is also a descendant from the tribe of Aaron. He's actually related to Jesus. If you look back a little further in Luke chapter 1, verses 56 through 58, um, Mary, who is uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit to, to bear Jesus, she is going and visiting her relative. It uses the term relative, but maybe they were cousins. So maybe that John, what would that make them? Second cousins? I, I don't know, but John is related to Jesus here. 
John is, lives as a Nazarite in the desert, not a Nazarene, a Nazarite. And a Nazarite, it would be from Numbers chapter 6, it would be somebody who is particularly devoted to God. And there were usually three requirements. No touching of a dead body. No razor is to touch their head or to shave their, to shave their head. And no wine, not just wine, grapes. You can't even touch the skin of grapes. Period. Right? Which is why Jesus says of John, he came neither eating nor drinking. Right? He, this has been forbidden for John to do. And only two Old Testament persons are described as having, I think, unless you could correct me on this, I think only two Old Testament persons are described as being a Nazarite, not for a short period of time, like their whole lifetime commitment. And one is Samson. The other one is Samuel. Again, hmm, children of childlessness. John began his ministry beyond the Jordan River. You could read about him in, in Luke chapter 1, 3, John 1, Matthew 3, um, Mark chapter 1. You could see his ministry. He preached a baptism of repentance in preparation for the coming of the Messiah, which we're going to talk about here. He bore witness to Jesus as the Messiah, John chapter 1. He even baptized. He's baptizing in the Jordan River and he even baptizes Jesus. Doesn't want to at first. He objects. And Jesus goes, no, that we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. He baptizes Jesus. Eventually, he's imprisoned and put to death by Herod Antipas. Why? You guys remember? They're doing some kinky stuff, yeah. and, and John the Baptist is calling out the religious, or the, uh, not the religious leaders, the political leaders for their immoral behavior. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you went there, Steve, not me. You went there. But he was imprisoned, right? He was prisoned, he was put into jail, and he was beheaded. He had disciples that were loyal to him. You even find disciples of John in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 18, when um, Paul comes and meets this guy who's, boy, he's really preaching the Old Testament really well. He's very eloquent at this. And they're like, well, what's your name? His name's Apollos. And he asks him and he realized he only knows about, he's a disciple of John the Baptist. And so they have to kind of get him up to speed on, oh, hey, a couple of things that happened here, like, um, and get him up to speed. Same thing. There's a group of disciples in Ephesus that were disciples of John. They had only known John's baptism. Very influential, his ministry did spread. And this is what Jesus had to say about him. Look at Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And this is where I might get to draw on the board here a little bit. Matthew chapter 11. As they, and I think this is the crowd, went away. Verse 7. Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? Okay, he's talking about the ministry of John the Baptist in the wilderness. Out by the Jordan River. Jesus says, you guys were all there. It says all of Israel, all of Jerusalem came out to the Jordan River to see what John was doing in his baptism, calling for repentance. 
The axe is at the root of the tree, John says. It's calling for repentance of the people. And Jesus calling back to John's ministry, and he challenges this crowd of people. He's like, so what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed just kind of shaken by the wind? So that's an idea that is delicate. It's delicate with a little reed. The, the implication is, no, John was not that. He was tough. A reed shaken by the wind. What, then what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing's, clothing are in king's houses. Um, soft here, this means effeminate. Okay, so It's one of, the, one of the words for homosexual, actually, related to this term. What did you go out, think you were going out to see? Guy dressed in effeminate clothing? No, what did you go out to see? He says, a prophet. And he goes, yes, and I tell you, more than a prophet. You've heard me say before, John was the last Old Testament prophet. Because he's the last one who came before the inauguration of the new covenant. And Jesus says, yeah, he's a prophet and he's more than a prophet. This is what it says in verse 10. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Jesus even says these words about John, Zechariah and Elizabeth's son. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus goes on to say, yet he, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. But we'll get to that here in a moment. Jesus has high praise, high words of praise here for John. Why? Why? What is so significant about John and his ministry? I invite you to turn to um, the last book of the Old Testament. So if you know where the New Testament is with Matthew, just turn to the left. Go to Malachi. The book of Malachi. So to kind of get a little timeline here, you know, so there's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, on down. Then there's the kingdom of Moses, Exodus. There's the judges and the wandering. And then you have the kingdom. Right? Starts with Saul and goes to, to David. And then the kingdom splits in half. There's the Babylonian exile where God's judgment was on uh, the, the split kingdom. There's the north and the south. God's judgment comes upon it comes upon the northern kingdom first and then comes upon the southern kingdom of Babylon and then they're taken into Babylon then they return to the land now they have the temple the temple is there temple check right but but no king as a matter of fact they're at best a province of some other ruler whether it was Greece or whether it was Egypt or some sort of thing like that until the Romans come along so Israel is back in the land they're back in Jerusalem they have the temple okay now, it's during this entire time that you have the prophets. Okay? Prophets. Usually the biggies. Isaiah, 
uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all of these kind of right around here, some of the minor prophets down here, until the very last prophet, Malachi, roughly about 400 B.C., Malachi. It's the last book in the New Testament. It's the last voice that the, the people of Israel hear from the Lord for 400 years by the time we get to the New Testament. Malachi says this. Malachi chapter 3 and chapter 4. This is Actually, this is the Lord saying this through, through Malachi. Verse 1. Behold... I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, who is speaking here? The one who is speaking here is the Lord of hosts. Who is he speaking about? His messenger who will prepare his way. What's interesting here is in the context. And, um, man, I would love to go through all of Malachi. Actually, we've kind of thought about doing an entire series just on the minor prophets uh, next year, Lord willing. Um, but it's interesting. They've kind of been leveling accusations about God. Like, where are you? What are you doing? We're still here stuck in this land. We don't have a kingdom. You know, and there were some voices that were like, you're, you're, is, is God really there? Is he really going to do what he said he's going to do? To which Malachi says, in a couple verses, uh, one verse earlier in verse 17, you've wearied the Lord with your words, but how you say, how, how have we wearied him? Well, by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is this God of justice? Right. And God answers him. They're basically saying, where's this God of, of yours? God says through Malachi, you'll know when I'm coming. When my messenger comes before me, very specific individual will come before me as the marker of this. And notice that the coming of the Lord of hosts is actually bringing with him, initiating a covenant right there. Do you see that in verse two, verse one? And the message of the Lord is also the messenger of that uh, of that covenant, then consequently that the Lord brings with him. A little bit, a little bit further, verse two. But who can endure the day of His coming? That's the Lord of Hosts coming. Who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and He will purify the sons of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and in the former days. Okay? There will be an approvable sacrifice that's coming. He's coming, he says. I'm coming. And then I'm going to bring my judgment and stuff with me when I come. And you'll know that I come because I'm going to send a messenger before me. And he actually even names that messenger. Chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. Verse 5 and 6. The last two words of the Old Testament. Last two verses of the Old Testament. Verse 5. Behold, I, 
Again, this is the, the Lord of hosts saying this again. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet and before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I'm coming, but one is coming ahead of me. And he goes, and he will be like Elijah. Okay. Elijah, the prophet, I, he goes, I will send you Elijah. In the before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Okay. Back to back to Matthew chapter 11. Why is this guy, John, so great in the eyes of Jesus? Why does Jesus have such high words of praise for him in Matthew chapter 11? Verse 11, he says, I, I, among those born of women, there's arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. He continues, verse, verse 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Let he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The very last word from the Lord spoken by a prophet to Israel is that, yes, I'm coming, and I'll tell you, I'll give you the hint. I'm going to send my messenger, and he will be like Elijah. And Jesus says, that Elijah has already come. That Elijah was John. The one that Malachi spoke of, that he was going to prepare the way of the Lord. The one who was going to come as the forerunner to Messiah has already come. That was John's calling. Janet and I, when we were discussing this last night, she'd asked, like, did John know this? Did he know? I think that he knew of who Jesus was, and I think he knew. But I think sometime maybe he got some doubt in his mind. As a matter of fact, he's in jail, and he sends his disciples to Jesus. He goes, hey, are you the guy? Are you the guy? When he was asked specifically, are you Elijah? He denied it. But I think he was mistaken. Jesus said, no, you are him. He confirmed that he was, in fact, the forerunner of the Messiah as the, game, as the, Gabriel, as the angel Gabriel said he would be. So back to Luke chapter 1, verses 13 and 17. The angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. You must not drink strong drink, strong uh, drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in what? The spirit and power of Elijah. It's Malachi verse chapter five, verse four. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. It's Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. The last words of the Old Testament. 
and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Malachi 1, or chapter 3, verse 1. Yahweh remembers his covenant. Why does Luke include this story here? Because the Messiah was said by God to have a forerunner. And this, this, this story here that happened to Zechariah in the temple is confirmation of who John the Baptist is. The Lord remembers his covenant. The Lord completes and fulfills his oath. The Lord promised a, a Messiah. The Lord promised a forerunner. And that is John the Baptist. This story says a lot about John the Baptist, but, but friends, it says a whole lot more about Jesus. John came as the forerunner of the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. John is fulfilling his role as an end time Elijah who would prepare the way for the Lord of hosts. Jesus is the Lord of hosts. John turned many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. Jesus is the Lord, their God. It says a lot about who Jesus is. Praise his name. John would proclaim this gospel. He would proclaim the good news of God's grace. He would say, yes, the axe is laying at the root of the trees, ready to, to chop it down, lop off the branches that do not bear fruit. And he's ready to burn that all up. But in, in that is a message of God's grace and his mercy. That he's offering the forgiveness of sins. This is what John proclaims. All this would be accomplished through the Messiah. John would proclaim the gospel. Jesus would continue what he proclaimed, which is, requires a call, a call for all to repent and turn to the righteousness of Christ. He would preach a repentance, a message of repentance to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And this message would result in the conversion of entire families. The gospel declares that God's, God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, but requires repentance and faith and turning from disobedience to obedience. The gospel confronts our hard-heartedness and transforms our minds and our attitudes. The gospel makes repentant and believing hearts willing to receive the Messiah. Let me close the words here from... Uh, one commentator. Jesus made the shocking statement that he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. True spiritual greatness comes not from the tasks we do, but from the life we possess as a gift from God. John's earthly greatness lay in the fact that he was assigned the greatest task that any man had ever been given to identify the Messiah. But as great as John was in this calling, the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater. Because the nature of spiritual greatness far exceeds 
the human efforts of ministry. The spiritual life is forever. Because he too belonged to the kingdom, John the Baptist shares that greatness with all believers. Right? That's what Jesus Jesus said. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Seeing all of the redeemed enjoy this same glorious honor of eternal life. He continues, in Christ all possess the divine life. All have the same privilege of being filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach and share Christ. Like John, believers are commissioned with the same task. To be ambassadors of reconciliation. Urging people to turn back to God through saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his substitutionary death. It is by doing so that we share John's greatness. Amen and amen. Friends, let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story that it's written and recorded for us in your word. We thank you that you not only are God who makes covenant promises, but that you fulfill them. That you remember your people. That you hear our cry. And we thank you that you, in the fullness of time, would send forth your son, born of the woman Mary, born under the law so that he might redeem us, your people. We thank you that this is not an afterthought. We thank you, Lord God, that this is not plan B, that this has been your plan all along to accomplish through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through the promise to David of a king, an anointed ruler. And we thank you that you've given the promise to a wayward and disbelieving Israel that you would send a forerunner. And we thank you that in this person, John the Baptist, we have confirmation that Jesus is our Messiah. God, help us to realize that the same power that that indwelled and motivated John the Baptist for his ministry empowers us for ours. God, we're grateful that you have made us because we are children of the new covenant, that you have made us even greater than John was. God, help us to embrace the privilege and standing that we have And we rejoice in the good news that we are made your children. 
And it's in Christ's mighty name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Brothers and sisters, I invite you to stand for our closing uh, benediction. <coughs> Reminder, the offering box is on the back table. There's also free resources back there. If you would like uh, something uh, to, if you have some questions or anything like that, I'd love to talk with you. Uh, if you have anything that you would like some prayer for, um, I'd love to, um, to hear those prayer requests and to pray for you uh, too. Just invite you to come up afterwards. Now, brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.